0: Welcome to Off the Deep End. I'm your host, Erin Monahan. I'm an anti-girl boss business and mindset coach, a writer, speaker, and professional toxic masculinity interrupter. And I'm here to offer my feminist analysis and insight into all things entrepreneurship, relationships, astrology, politics, and whatever else I feel like going off the deep end about. Hello, hello, friends. This is Erin Monahan. I'm your host of Off the Deep End, and I am a trauma-informed mindset coach and business coach and speaker and writer and professional toxic masculinity interrupter (laughs) at your service. It is early in the morning. I got like four hours of sleep last night. I've been doing this really horrible habit of like not eating enough during the day, so I wake up really early, and so I need to get better about making food for myself and eating more, and I just want to share that piece because as an entrepreneur, this is one of my biggest struggles, is finding time to do everything and run terra incognita media and all the responsibilities that come comes with that and then also all the responsibilities that come with running your own business running my coaching business and also just being a human in the world and wanting to take care of my health and do things that I enjoy like running and climbing and for me when I'm stressed out I yeah eating consistently eating meals preparing meals is like the thing that goes out the window and also showering it's, and i just get really lazy and don't want to shower <laughs> so uh if that's you you're not alone but anyways um yeah that's all to say i'm recording this after like only getting 4 hours of sleep and i am feeling a little out of it but i wanted to start this podcast back up. It's been like six months and I, yeah, I'm feeling very called and inspired to get on here and connect with you and share with you what's been going on for me and what's on my mind. And I'm currently feeling really inspired and called to talk about grief and entrepreneurship and how our identity is wrapped up in our entrepreneurship, but also how we need to, or and also how we need to separate our identity from entrepreneurship. Because it can get really blended and blurry because we, when you become an entrepreneur or a service-based provider, uh, your identity can get really enmeshed and I love that about this that the, I love that I can be myself and that my brand is me and at the same time you are a human being and you are not your work so those things need to be distinct in in the most or as distinct as they can be I guess because at the same time it's blended and blurry too right um, but yeah and that's that's a little bit about what I want to talk about. I also want to talk about identity in the form of how when we're in, when we're pursuing entrepreneurship, when we're engaging in entrepreneurship, what also is happening around our identity is this this piece about shedding old identities, shedding old patterns, and adopting a new identity and also, or, but, (laughs) there's this, um, I've been thinking about how it's about coming back home to ourselves, in the way of thinking about it as, like, when we are born into this world, we are ourselves, we are born into this world, uh, as we are, and then we're bombarded with all of this societal conditioning, And all this oppressive conditioning that tells us who we are and who we should be and how we should act and how we should dress and what we should think and what we should aspire to be and all these things. And so I also believe that entrepreneurship is the process of healing and is the process of unlearning and learning all these things at once. So integrating lessons but also disintegrating from lessons that you've been taught that you might have found over time don't serve you and you want to release. Uh so yeah, and and so I'm talking about grief because grief and entrepreneurship go hand in hand. I want to talk about grief when it comes to shedding these layers of our identity. And how entrepreneurship requires you to go against the grain of what you've been taught and everything that you've been told about who you are how you can make money how you're supposed to live and what options are available to you are suddenly in question the prescribed trajectory of college job marriage buy a house retire die is perfectly great for some people i mean that can provide a lot of stability and for some people that really works and and for others it just doesn't or maybe you'll fluctuate between these things over the course of your life but at this moment if you're listening to this podcast you are probably somebody who's fueled to draw a life outside of these lines outside of this trajectory this prescribed trajectory Grief overcomes you when you realize you've been lied to your whole life about what you're capable of accomplishing due to oppressive societal ideologies and narratives imposed onto you intentionally or unintentionally by the media, your parents, peers, friends, teachers, etc. Grief visits you in waves as you reflect on friendships that have dissipated due to your developing and evolving values and integrity that no longer align with their approach to life. Grief comes when you're processing the trauma you've inherited as you undergo a journey of breaking generational patterns. Grief also comes through the trauma you experience today. The grief of surviving this pandemic, the wildfires, the prison industrial complex, police brutality, climate chaos, driven by white supremacy, capitalism, patriarchy, and ongoing colonization. Grief comes through the knowledge that this stolen land is yearning to be returned to the original peoples of Turtle Island. Grief sits in the quiet of your room as you learn to accept that your parents may never see, hear, or understand. I can't stress enough that you're not alone on your journey and you're not the only one, though this entrepreneurial journey can feel extremely isolating. And as you continue to shed layers of yourself and cultivate a new way of being, I promise that you will find your people. And I'm also saying this to myself too, because I'm, I'm in the process of trying to find my people in, in my new life and in my new way of being. So this is to say to be anchored in your purpose and to keep going. And I, as I was, so I thought about this last night as I was getting into bed and I uh, was pulling a tarot card and I pulled the card of temperance, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But for right now, I want to talk about how there's this seemingly silent transformation on the outside that happens when we embark on an entrepreneurial journey it's this seemingly silent transformation on the outside like no one know, no one really knows that you're like going through this like big expansive inner transformation on the outside you look the same on the outside your life might look the same seem the same but on the inside you're completely changing you're going through something so pivotal Yet you might doubt this, because everything around you is seemingly the same. It can be such a weird, disorienting event. Because maybe nothing big or catastrophic or calamitous needs to happen externally. For all of this to be happening internally. And at the same time, as I say this... Externally, there is catastrophe and calamity happening all around us. It's very eerie and strange to think about. I'm about to turn 32 in October, and as a white girl from the suburbs of so-called St. Louis, Missouri, I grew up on the lie that everything is sidewalks and mailboxes and barbecues on the back deck and baseball games and dance class and theater practice. And there was no education about the truth of climate change, which now it feels more apt to call climate chaos or late-stage capitalism or ongoing colonization. There was no discussion of these things as a child growing up, so I felt very gobsmacked when I got to college and began putting the pieces together throughout my 20s. It's absolutely infuriating and heartbreaking. And those words don't even begin to cover it. I can't imagine what younger generations must be feeling right now. Because I know that my early 20s, or my teens, my early 20s, I mean, being a a kid and being a youth, being a teenager, being in your early 20s is already hell enough. And then on top of that, for there to be a pandemic, I really can't imagine what it's like. So for all of you who are listening and are of the younger generations, I just want to extend my love and care and protection to you because this is not fair. And life was never fair. And this is a saying that I hated to hear growing up. My dad would always tell me life isn't fair, which was kind of a way really for him to just justify things that were dynamics that were happening within our family system that he had more control over than he wanted me to believe but it's not this is not a world that kids that are being born today should have to inherit there it's a world today that nobody should have to inherit And yet we all have inherited this world. And yeah, I say this as someone who has extreme anxiety every night about the state of the world. And it's something that I think about a lot, how it's this reflection of my privilege and position of power as a white person that I didn't have to think about these things growing up. And I think about how unprepared... So many of us upper middle class white people are, and I don't say this as in, oh, poor white people, poor upper middle class white people, but to like, I often think about how white supremacy culture is killing the planet, killing people, it, it, white supremacy and the systems and structures that spider out of white supremacy like capitalism and patriarchy of course target black and brown people but i uh, i also often think about this impact on the white on our white psyches and our white on white people's spirits and how we bargain away our spirit and our souls and our psyches and our humanity for whiteness to for this construct of whiteness and how attached we are to this construct, so much so that we won't even question the role of police in our society, so much so that we value our property and possessions over human life. And it, this, of course, wouldn't necessarily be maybe an explicitly expressed sentiment in among the white people that I know, but it's within our actions, it's within the structures that we participate in, in the belief systems that we cling to. And so when I say how unprepared many of us upper middle class white people are, it's, I, when I say that I mean to say that I'm thinking about the way that we've devised and perpetuated these systems that keep us separate and emotionally and spiritually bankrupt. And that these systems of oppression that as white people we cling to, they are also killing us. And I'm not talking about being unprepared maybe in a material sense, but more of an unpreparedness spiritually and emotionally because white supremacy strips us of real community. And there's this huge chasm that I've been reflecting on between what my parents thought they had to prepare me for and what I'm experiencing and expected to move through today. Also, white supremacy has us conditioned to keep things quiet, sweep it under the rug, repress your emotions, repress the truth. For a really long time, for many years, maybe even my whole life, I spent exhausting myself over the effort of trying to get my parents to see, to get them to listen to me, to hear me, to understand me and where I was coming from about my chosen path, about my ideas and perspective, about the ideas and perspective that I was learning from anti-racist educators. And I do think it is extremely important for us white people who have access to white people that we talk to them about anti-racism we talk to them about systems of oppression that we do educate our friends and family and at the same time I've noticed that there's only so much you can do when it comes to people who are who don't want to listen who don't want to learn and so of course I will keep interrupting the spaces I have access to the best of my ability. For example, when I go to a, a baby's birthday party, and and uh, one of the family members wants to announce that this is a politic-free zone. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's important to remind people that politics. There, there is no such thing as a politic-free zone, and everything that we do in our lives is political, even right down to how we love and how we partner, how we raised our kids. These are all political acts. So that was absurd, but that's whiteness. Whiteness wants to believe that we can separate ourselves from politics. But so, there's, there's that. We do need to educate and talk to our friends and family about these things. And at the same time, there was, there's been this realization that I was, when I was begging my parents and family to listen to me, to hear me, to understand me and where I was coming from, I realized that I was also playing out this pattern that was there since childhood. And it stemmed from my attachment style. And attachment theory is one way to look at the dynamics that we have as human beings in this world today. And I also think that you could, you could use, it's, it's just language to describe aspects that are, that are happening because of white supremacy and systems of oppression from the way that I look at it. It can be helpful to describe, and and maybe this language will be helpful for you. Maybe this lens or this theory might be helpful for you to look at and to consider. And ultimately, I I also see and come back to how this is all stemming from systems of oppression. So there are three different attachment styles and attachment theory, and I tend to be anxious preoccupied, which means my caregivers were inconsistent. There was no telling if they would be there or not. Sometimes they would show up fully and I could rely on them for my needs and sometimes they wouldn't. I definitely got all of my material needs met growing up but definitely not all of my emotional needs. So I grew into this pattern of feeling like I had to always figure out how to secure that love and attention and safety and this created in me an impulse to prove my worth and value to prove that I was worthy of attention. Because growing up, I didn't get that consistency of their attention, of my parents' attention, that I needed. So I was so conditioned to believe that I had to prove myself. This was, of course, not their intention, but that is the impact. And white supremacy also fuels this because in this oppressive system and structure, your value is hinged on how much you can contribute, and how much you can produce, and on how much you can sacrifice yourself for others. So then throw on top of that patriarchy and the way it forces us to perform inside the rigid cages of the gender binary. And if we try to be our full express selves outside of those confines, you'll be met with ridicule, maybe seen as a freak, or crazy, or delusional. You'll be met with all these labels explicitly or subtly. Basically, you're being told to get back into your place. And when we stop fulfilling our assigned role, because we no longer want to live these lies, the people around us who expected us to play these roles our whole lives may feel upset or confused or hurt or angry or disappointed they might protest in different ways the ways that we're now showing up the new way that we're holding space the new way that we're holding ourselves holding our bodies, the new way that we're moving through space and through these dynamics. My therapist said in one of our sessions, she told me that breaking these patterns might feel isolating or renegotiating the boundaries that I have with my family or with my friends, which is an ongoing process. Even just waking up to the realization that you can renegotiate your boundaries with your family and your friends can be huge, can be life-changing, can be a huge shift internally. So breaking these patterns might feel extremely isolating. Renegotiating your boundaries, whether you express them out loud or just keep them to yourself and protect them internally, it could be it could be. A feeling of isolation a feeling really isolated at first because maybe that means that you're not going to let people have access to you in the same ways that they did before maybe that means you're going to hold back a little more and in, in, in a way that you weren't before pull, pull back a little bit more of your energy not go all in as you did before. To to preserve your energy. To save it for yourself. To protect it. To channel your energy towards things that are giving you energy back. To channel your energy towards things that are reciprocating that energy. That are feeding and fueling you as well. That aren't just draining and taking from you or rejecting and denying you no matter how much of your energy you put towards it there are places maybe you'll find that places in relationships where you'll pull back on your energy and it will feel isolating at first but there are other places where you can pour that energy That feels enlivening, that might feel more gratifying. But in that space of pulling back, that could bring up some grief. That could bring up some really deep grief of having to pull yourself back in that way. Having to accept that all of your effort was going towards these relationships, these people or this or these maybe a project that ultimately was never really giving back to you in the ways that you had hoped. And that can bring up a lot of grief. It can bring up feelings of, I'm not worthy for that. I'm not worthy. I don't deserve that. But that is so not true. I definitely internalize a lot of the reactions that I receive from people my parents, my family, my friends, and I make it about me, when often it's not about me at all, it's about the other person. It's about what they are capable or not capable of giving and receiving. And I guess I'm still learning the lesson of only investing in people when it feels reciprocal. And also remembering that I don't need to give my entire being to every discussion, every phone call, every gathering, every message. I don't need to pour all of my heart and soul into every interaction. I can reserve some of that energy for me. In fact, I must. You must. As we become more conscious of the world around us, our relationships and of ourselves, we will see that we have a choice. Often we we have choices. And I'm talking about this outside of abusive relationships. In abusive relationships, it is never your fault. And in abusive relationships, you don't have a choice. So this is, I'm speaking of this outside of an abusive context so to a degree we might be able to find ourselves with choices and we can renegotiate the boundaries and levels of commitment we bring into our relationships into our projects our work projects our work relationships our friendships and that includes our relationships with our family and old friends I feel like these are the hardest places where we have a hard time negotiating, renegotiating. So negotiating isn't just for business. For example, in my family, the performance of family is extremely important. You're supposed to always show up for the baby showers, the weddings, the holidays, but on a casual basis, we never really see each other or really talk to each other. This is a deeply painful spot for me because there is this constant message growing up of family is always there for you. And I just never felt like this was really true because I always felt rejected and denied by my family growing up when I showed up fully as myself. Again, I know that this was not their intention, but that is definitely how I have felt So when I chose to not go to one of these family functions, I chose not to go to a baby shower, a virtual baby shower, a few, like a month or so ago to prioritize my partner because he was going through a really hard time and I wanted to support him and I wanted to be there for him. My mom got so incredibly pissed at me. She was more mad than my cousin who was having the baby shower and I had talked to my cousin and we had both talked about how there's this ridiculous pressure in our family to show up to these events and if you don't show up, you're a fucking piece of shit (laughs) and you better watch out because you might not get any presents at your baby shower if you don't come to this baby shower. Not that I'm planning on having kids, but I have been thinking about having a baby shower for my business. Like, where are all of my gifts for birthing this business into the world? Like, seriously, though, as somebody who's not going to have kids, it's it's very apparent and clear that if you don't have, like, how difficult is it to be a single person in the world, living off of a single income and then trying to build a business? Yeah. Anyways, that's a tangent for another day, but, you know, going back to this whole negotiating boundaries with our family and choosing yourself and and channeling your energy where it's, you know, where, where you maybe would rather channel it. My mom got so mad at me for not going to this baby shower. It was like impressive how mad she was. And after a couple of conversations that were, you know, maybe not, actually, conversations, technically, they were maybe just her yelling and being mad, I realized that she was projecting onto me, and how this realization was, like, one of many, because I was like, wow, this has been a lifetime of her projecting onto me, because she was, she'd basically kind of, in her anger and in her frustration, she like admitted that or she she was describing how she how she always shows up, how she always has to go to these events. <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, that's what you're doing. That's your choice. You are an adult. <laughs> and that's your choice." And I also yeah, it also kind of made me step back and have some compassion and and also some sadness for my mom because To me, it's very clear that she's martyred herself for my family, for me and my siblings and also for my dad and also for my dad's side of the family. And and, and, and there's some deep trauma, some deep unaddressed trauma there that I don't want to speak for my mom or her experiences, but this is something that I've picked up on and noticed as somebody who's her daughter, (laughs) who's lived with her my whole life. And who has witnessed her and how she moves in our family and what she commits to, and how that, and how her commitments have been to her detriment. How the expectations that she has, whether of herself or that have been put on her as a mom, as a woman in the society, as a mother in the society, the expectations that patriarchy and white supremacy put on mothers that it has come to her detriment and so then she's projecting it onto me as almost as if like you know she's so angry at my choice to choose myself angry at my ability to choose myself and of course it's going to be interpreted as selfishness in this narrative of family comes first in this narrative of family's always there for you but see that like that's where our definitions are different like yeah I'll always be there for my family I mean but but I don't believe in this idea of unconditional love because my love is conditional if you're going to be abusive towards me I'm going to hope to get support ...to leave that relationship. But there's... I'm not going to tolerate... ...my dad telling me that I'm preachy... ...when I'm... ...talking to him about... ...something that he said... ...being... ...when I'm I'm calling him out for something that he said is racist. Right? (laughs) Like... ...there's just certain things... ...that that I... ...I realize I don't have to put up with anymore. And just because they're my parents... I'm, a, I'm an adult, I'm a human being, I am their child, but I'm also an adult now, and when that happens, the relationship needs to change, the relationship has to evolve, because we're no longer little children that need direction, now we're, I mean, of course, I've, I, I believe that children are autonomous beings, and we should always honor the autonomy and agency of children, and I think our society does a huge disservice to children. And so that's and that's being reflected now in my adult relationship with my parents and this has absolutely affected my ability to show up as an entrepreneur and to trust myself to make my own choices but so this was an act of me choosing myself of me trusting myself, of me honoring my boundaries and and yeah of reclaiming myself and um yeah, she was very upset about me being able to do that. And I think that that comes from the feelings of the, the pressure she has felt and the expectations that she's not been able to shake loose of being roped into these patriarchal expectations of always having to show up and martyr yourself no matter what. And that's exhausting. That's draining. That's depleting. That is soul-sucking. I can be there for my family and I can love them and I can show up for them when I can, when I want to. It it, it should be rooted in consent and there should be this symbi- symbiotic, I guess, sort of like nature of understanding that we all are doing the best we can to take care of ourselves and each other, but we can't take care of anyone else until, you know, unless we take care of ourselves. We have to be able to take care of ourselves too. And I had to take care of myself in the way of taking care of my partner instead of going to this fucking virtual baby shower. (laughs) And I, I guess I share this in the context of entrepreneurship because this was an act of me trusting myself. This was an act of me choosing myself, which is Vesta energy to the 10th degree, motherfucker and you know Vesta Business School is is my is my business and mindset coaching program and that's what Vesta energy is all about it's about belonging to yourself and trusting yourself and being of service but knowing that you can't be of service unless you show up for yourself and you take care of yourself you trust that you're making decisions that are in that are in your highest interest, I guess, if you want to call it that, or just that are aligned with your values and integrity. So, yeah, I realize that if I felt the pressure and weight of of that, of this this pressure and weight to always show up show up to these family events, at the expense of myself. Like that was a, the message I got is that I'm supposed to show up to these events at my expense. <laughs> and that doesn't work for me anymore. Showing up to things at my expense does not work for me anymore. And the pressure and weight of not being able to be my full expressed self in my family has become apparent and the confines and constrictions that come with living in a white Catholic family and seeing how those restrictions and confines and that repression is impacting my mom and how this is generational. This is generational trauma. And if I, you know, I've tried to explain this to her and I've tried to share this with her, but she would tell me that I'm being ridiculous Or that she likes to show up for my family in that way. And that's fine. And if that's true, that's okay. I'm sure there's truth to that. But there's also that element where I've always noticed growing up that she has absolutely sacrificed herself in ways that I don't think she needed to. And women are definitely systemically and structurally forced to bear the brunt of caregiving and child-rearing. And I hope that she never listens to this episode. <laughs> Cause she'd probably get really pissed off at me for saying these things. Cause she probably doesn't see it this way at all, right? I mean, this is definitely a skewed um it's it's Aaron's perspective. <laughs> it's not yeah, so and I and I feel weird a little bit because I'm like I'm not trying to speak for my mom's experience, but this is just what I've witnessed. And I'm witnessing impact and this is what I've experienced in my body the impact of of this growing up in that generationally and and just in that in these dynamics in our family so and I'm by no means saying that my mom hasn't stood up for herself because she has she's the person who has given me my my ability to speak up for myself and I get all of my fire and Drive to speak the truth and stand my ground if I ever need to from her and I know that she's experienced some scorn at times actually from my dad's side of the family for her approach and her values which I love I love that well I don't love that she's received scorn but I love that she's stayed true to herself in immense ways And that her parenting style very much differed from my dad's parents' parenting style. And I love that my mom let us run around naked all the time when we were growing up. (laughs) For example. But yeah, this this is to say that my parents have pushed a lot of their expectations onto me as an adult. And I realize that I have a choice now of how I show up in this relationship with them. And this process was full of grief and full of pain to realize that I'm never going to have the relationship with them that I've always wanted. And this was really necessary for me to look at and to hold in order for me to move forward with my entrepreneurial path. Because denying this for so long meant that I was expending my precious energy on begging them to see me and begging them to show up for me in the ways that I desperately needed and deserved But that they just couldn't. They just can't. And after some time of being extremely rageful about this, I've moved into a quieter space. And it comes and goes. And healing is nonlinear. And grief is nonlinear. I get sad and mad and upset and frustrated and feel deeply isolated because of this reality. Because it feels like I've become this total stranger, this totally strange person when I'm with them now sometimes and I wonder if they feel that too. I mean, they must feel it, but I don't think that they wanna talk about it. And I don't I don't really either because it will just be a conversation about how I have to change my attitude. <laughs> and I'm not trying to have those conversations with them anymore. As an adult, I realize that actually how I see the world is valid, and it is wise, and I'm picking up on things and perceiving things that they've told me aren't there, but I won't allow myself to be gaslit anymore, and so I'll just keep my truth. And I keep my truth even if they don't want to see it, or even if they don't understand it or hear it or believe it. I know it's true. So personally, I've come to understand that my relationship with my my parents has certain limitations and the pain is still there, but not as viscerally or as stunting as before because I'm accepting what is the reality now when before I was resistant and denying it. And so that space is extremely painful to be in and I'm sending you so much love if if you happen to be there right now with your parents or your caregivers. It's a journey of excavation when we're trying to heal from the rejection and denial and abandonment of our parents. And we might feel this every time we're with them. I'm not trying to be all doom and gloom, but something that has oddly made me feel extremely depressed and also sort of weirdly relieved at the same time is sitting with and reflecting on the fact that being human is actually a very lonely endeavor. We're all having a completely isolated and solitary and separate and autonomous experience that no one will ever quite fully understand. And yet, at the same time, we're not alone and community does exist and the universe does support us. I do believe this. We are all cosmically connected. But there's this aspect of the human condition that is undeniably true. And that is that we are alone in our experience, in our skins, in our bodies, in our meat suits, as Jessica Lanyadu would say, one of my favorite astrologists. So sometimes it can be relieving to remember this because... As someone who has constantly reached outside of myself for comfort and for the answer and for the help and for the rescuing and for the solution, I realized, oh, maybe I don't need to research or, oh, maybe not everyone needs to understand every last detail of what I'm experiencing at this moment. Maybe I can be with myself for this period of time. Maybe it will feel like the loneliest I've ever been, but... Is that the worst thing? And if it is the worst thing, is that okay? Is it, is it bad? Do I need to label it good or bad? Can I just let it be the worst thing? If it feels like the worst thing? I think there's this expectation that I had growing up too that my 20s would be this wild time where I'd be living in New York City and out on the town and <laughs> partying it up and getting happy hour and having a fulfilling career and and now I'm 32 and none of that happened and yeah or I'm almost 32 but yeah I've been working towards that fulfilling career that's for sure with my coaching business but overall my life is absolutely the opposite of that television inspired fantasy. Right now we're living through a pandemic, climate chaos, a violent police force and government. I have no social life. Bumble fucking sucks. <laughs> um yeah, tried that for finding friends, and that was exhausting. Uh, um my partner is a wildland firefighter, and I never get to see him so and I'm also constantly worried about his life and My family is in denial of our deep disconnections. I've also have beautiful connections with people I do have friends, and I have many beautiful connections that I've made through Instagram actually, and I love that and I go to the climbing gym and have my social interactions there, which are kind of nice sometimes, sometimes they're not, and I want the toxic masculine bros to leave me the fuck alone, but yeah, when I think about the phrase, life is what you make it, <laughs> I guess I want to change it to life is how you think about it. And the last few years has been one of me drastically changing the way that I view life and the world and the shoulds and the supposed tos that are imposed onto you. I realized that so much of my anxiety was imposed by society. Like the anxiety of I should be more successful. I should have more stability. I should have more savings. I should blah, blah, blah. And then I realized, okay, but this isn't how my life is at the moment. And all of these shoulds are causing me so much anxiety and eating away at me and causing me stress. And it's pretty unnecessary. What if I just accepted where I am now and zoomed out and put it in perspective? What if I looked at how far I've come and all that I've had to move through to get here today? What if we remember the conditions of our lives today in this world and appreciate ourselves for all that we do to care for ourselves in the littlest ways? You deserve care. You deserve praise. You deserve love and attention and affirmation that you are on the right path, even if it feels lonely and like nobody fucking gets it. It feels like you shouldn't go down the entrepreneurial path often because society didn't prescribe it. Society doesn't prescribe you the entrepreneurship route. It prescribes you this bullshit promise of go to college, get a job, get married, have kids. Yeah, and you got to buy a house somewhere and then you retire. And that's just, that's great for some people. I would love Aspects of that stability maybe down the road, but I mean right now I would love that stability in some ways, but That that doesn't work we we have come to find that you get a degree and you're still fucking screwed in this society So It's a scam but there are benefits and and sacrifices to be made from going down that route and then also from going down the entrepreneurial route and it doesn't have to be either or either but and and just because society didn't prescribe the life path that you're on doesn't mean that it's wrong you're on your path and you're going the right way not because there is a wrong or a right way but just because it's the way that you're going right now. And you can always change your mind. The way you're going right now will have you looking back on everything in a new and different way. And you can reassess down the road what you think and believe. And how amazing is that, that we are so dynamic and that we can change our minds, that we can allow ourselves to grow and expand and move into a completely different path, if the one we're on no longer resonates. I think the times we get ourselves into stress and trouble is when we hold on to something for so long because it's what we've always known. And we're so attached to that version of our lives that we're not even allowing ourselves to dream of what life could look, could look like outside of the current reality. So I invite you to let yourself dream outside of the current reality that you're in while also accepting it, accepting this reality and finding just even one small way that you can feel grateful for what you do have in your life and what you have created for yourself and being proud of yourself for where you are today. And also at the same time asking, what could life look and feel like if you loosened your grip? just slightly on the reality that you're experiencing now and let yourself dream outside of that and go towards that dream despite it not having a guarantee despite it maybe not being what your parents envisioned for you or what society told you you should go after Well, this turned into a longer episode than I was anticipating. I have other things that I wanted to talk about. Like I said at the beginning, I wanted to talk about the, the temperance tarot card. Because I feel like that's very much related to what we're discussing. And I guess we're just going to have to have a part two. <laughs> so this is part one. I hope this was helpful. And I'm sending you so much love. If you would like support outside of this podcast, you can book a free clarity call with me, and I'm also enrolling in the Anti-Capitalist Business Blueprint, which is going to be an amazing four-week journey where we go from, we take your idea and we launch it, and I show you the ins and outs of how to market and sell in a conscious and aligned way how to set a goal and put it in the future and work towards it. And yeah, and do it in a way that doesn't compromise your integrity or your paycheck. So if you would like to enroll in the Anti-Capitalist Business Blueprint, we are enrolling right now. You can go, I'll have a link in the show notes and also there's a link in my Instagram bio for that. And we start next monday so on august 9th and i cannot fucking wait (laughs) but thank you for going off the deep end with me today about some of my childhood trauma (laughs) Um, i hope that this was helpful please let me know if it was um let me know if you have any any ideas or any requests for a topic for me to discuss next time i'm always looking for feedback And yeah, I think this is going to be a part, part one actually. So to be continued. Sending you so much love on this Sunday or whatever day you are listening to this on. And yeah, I will talk to you soon. Bye.